You're listening to sermons from Bethany Baptist Church. For more information, visit us at bethanychicago.org. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Colossenses capítulo primero del 15 al 17 versículos. Él es la imagen del Dios invisible, el primogénito sobre toda creación, porque por medio de él fueron creadas todas las cosas, en el cielo y en la tierra, visibles e invisibles, sean tronos, poderes, principiados o autoridades, todo ha sido creado por medio de Él y para Él. Él es anterior a todas las cosas que por medio de Él fueron un todo coherente. La palabra del Señor. Well, good morning. What a pleasure it is to be with you this morning. I am grateful that I was able to make it out today. I know that Chicago weather is what it is, isn't it? <laughs> we have learned uh, to adapt. But thankfully, we have gathered this morning in order to worship Christ. No greater honor than to be in his house again and to have the privilege of being with one another. COVID taught us how to cherish our presence, didn't it? And that lack thereof, the absence thereof, was really, really hard to manage. But gratefully, we are able to gather, amen, in his name. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. So I'm grateful this morning to be with you. I bring you greetings. My name is Ernest Gray, and I am uh, a Southsider. I'm a Southsider. Amen. Uh, And uh, I live on the the South Side, but I work on the West Side, so I'm pro-Chicago. I think all the sides are beautiful. Uh, and um, I am grateful to be with you this morning. Uh, I serve as the spiritual care director at Lawndale Christian Health Center, and prior to that was pastor of Keystone Baptist Church for 13 years uh, in West Garfield Park. It's just a joy to be with you this morning, uh, my father's children. So in light of the hour, in light of the time that we have this morning, would you join me, join me in a word of prayer? Eternal God, our Father, We are very grateful that you have delighted to send us your son, the Lord Jesus, the fairest of all. We pray, God, that in the moments we've been given, that you would allow us to see you clearly. God, I want to personally thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to share its insights. I do pray that you would render me an oracle for Jesus Christ. Help me to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth regarding you and your word for your glory and for our own good. 
And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm grateful to have my son with me this morning, Elias. He joined me this morning. He was voluntold. And so that, uh, <laughs> that, that, that's the way it goes around here. Amen. I don't know. Anybody else been voluntold in your life? Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a traditional African-American spiritual, first published in 1927, but it became an international pop hit in 1957 and 58 when English singer Lori London. Since then, it has been sang by countless others, the most melodic and soulful rendition being given by none other than Mahalia Jackson, who sang it with the amount appropriate amount of flavor that a spiritual like this deserves. And, it, and just like Jesus loves me, this I know, simple songs like this convey deep truth. You want to know what I'm talking about? It's the words to he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the fish of the sea in his hands. He's got the birds of the air in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the gambling man in his hands. He's got the sinner man in his hands. He's got the gambling man. He's got the whole world in his hands. This song is nothing but a reminder that nothing is beyond the reach of the Lord. It's a song that, as simple as it is, affirms some great, great truths about God. I I know it didn't exist in the time of Paul, but something in my mind imagines that, in essence, the words to this song were at least embedded in this text today. We find these words to be true. They resonate with this song. And And I'd like to share with you this morning some of the details about that, because when Paul was addressing the residents of Colossae, he captured the sentiment of this song in chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. But for our purposes today, we're only going to focus upon two chapters, really actually one. But I, 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 I suggest that to you today because they are a needed reminder that when attempted to abandon Jesus or to simply look around the world and, and, and be convinced that all is not well, we know that we can look to him to deliver and to help us hold our li- help have our lives held together. And I know many of you maybe would like to join me in echoing the sentiments that it feels like situations in our world are getting out of control. Maybe, maybe you're like me this morning. You're looking at the world at large and saying, man, I don't even know where to start. I don't know where to begin. Or maybe you don't have to look so far. Maybe you can look at the city, right? You're looking at Chicago. You're saying, man, I don't even know where to begin. I don't know what's happening in this city. But there's even a closer realm that this text is talking to, and that is in your own personal life. Perhaps you are wondering, how, God, are you going to bring me through this situation? It feels like things are unraveling for me. It feels like I'm coming apart at the seams, Jesus. And the question that you may have and that I sometimes have is, Lord, do you care? Do you care? Well, I'm so glad this morning that this text is really kind of tailored to teach us that not only does Jesus care, but he has been caring from the very beginning. 
So I'm excited to share this text with you today. And I like to tag this text in our exchange. He's got the whole world in his hands as we see Paul capturing the supremacy of Christ in creation, through his son, and with consistency, how he holds our world together. If you have your Bible, I want to draw your attention again. I'd like to read the scripture one more time in your hearing. I'm reading from an NIV. No need to stand. I'll just share it. I'll just rehearse it for you one more time. The son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things. I wanted to mess with you a little bit. Say some things. No, all things (laughs) have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. I want to share with you where he's holding, how he's got the whole world in his hands. The first area we see Jesus impacting is in creation. Paul is very keen to alert us that, that he wants you to know that Jesus can be seen in creation. Proverbs 8 is not just the only text that, that shows that God partnered, that he partnered with God in creating the world. And sometimes we fail to remember that creation relates to God in the same way that we relate to one another. God loves his creation. Genesis 1 tells us he took great care in six literal days creating the world. Great care. Paul wants you and I to know two things. Number one, that Jesus is the exact image of God. This is what he says in verse 15. He's the replica. He's the exact imprimatur. He's the exact image of God. If you've seen seen Jesus, you have seen God. He wants us to know that because he bears God's image. Bearing God's image is a reality that we all share. It's why human beings of every shape, size, ethnicity, gender, and demographic have inestimable value to him. A piece of God lives in you. A piece of God resides in you. And you are a part of his creation. Oh, man, these lofty ideas are sometimes hard for us to gather. So when Paul says here that Jesus is, is, is the exact representation of God, he's saying two important things. Number one, that the idea of an image of God and how the image is a revelation of God, this word image conveyed two, answers, two nuances of meaning. Both elements are always present, but one tended to dominate the other. The first is that of representation. Jesus represents God on the earth in your life. Or as John 1.14, God on your block. Right. He came to the earth as an exact representation of G- of God. The image represents the symbol that the object pictured. The second element is an image of the second uh, uh, meaning of the word image is manifestation, representation, manifestation. When the term was employed, it meant that the symbol was more than a symbol. The symbol brought with it actual presence of the object. In other words, as J.B. Phillips translated, he's a visible expression. This is why we want to share, apparently, let me pause here. This is why we want to share Jesus with everybody we can. Because if you present Jesus, then there's a visible expression 
to those who don't know him of his own deity. He manifested God. The term here is similar to Hebrews 1.3, where the writer stated that Jesus is called the, quote, exact representation of God. And John 18, which says that Jesus made him known. The point is that Christ, the invisible, that in Christ, the invisible God became visible and he shared the same substance as God. You know, when I think about this, it's, it's, it's important because the Colossian church was dealing with counterfeit, counterfeits, fakes. They, 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 were, they were tempted to abandon Jesus by some newfangled religion, worship and veneration of angels, or some other kind of teaching that had made its way into Colossae. So when Paul is placing this in front of them, he's, he's doing so because he wants them to not succumb to counterfeits. There's a lot of counterfeits in the world, isn't it? There's a lot of phonies, a lot of fakes. A lot of folks that would sell you all down the river on who Jesus is and what he's like. Doesn't even need to be Jesus. I mean, you could be sold on any other kind of religion, a religion of self, a religion of money, a religion of sex. A religion of any of these things can mislead you. There's a lot of counterfeits in the world. But people who work for the treasury are interesting to me. Does anybody here work, know anybody that work for the treasury? Well, it's interesting because they're trained to spot fakes, aren't they? And you know how they spot fakes? They don't go out there studying all the ways and mean, the ways in which fake dollar bills are created. No, they don't. They don't go around trying to look for the little the little line in the and uh, uh, the note or the watermark. No, they study the real thing. In order for those that are in the treasury to spot counterfeits, they 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 become meticulously aware of the original. And I like to suggest to you that in a world of fakes who try to deceive you by saying they're valuable, Jesus calls us to study him in a world pervaded by copycats who try to represent a God who can help. You've got to look to the visible manifestation of Jesus, who Paul says is the image of the invisible God. And if you look to him, he'll hold your world together. He'll help you to identify and spot out counterfeits. In a world of copycats, look to the master Jesus because there's no distinction between he and the father. In a world where people pursue pleasure and personal fulfillment over relationship with Jesus, you've got to pursue him. That's the first thing that I want you to know, that in creation and in creating this world and in creating you and I, that he holds the world together in this realm. But there's a second place where we can identify he's got the whole world in his hands, and that's in Jesus. It's in Jesus. Since Jesus was partnering with God in the creation of the world, Paul wants to sing a praise of him whose impact is everywhere. And indeed, this is a song. I, I, I don't have time and space to share with you the details of this beautiful hymn. Captioned in verses 15 through 20. But I do want you to know that verse 16 declares, By him all things were created, both in heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Three sets of comparative items there. 
They're described to suggest the scope of his influence. The fact that his influence is absolute. In other words, Jesus' fingerprint can be seen upon the canvas of human existence. He made the world we occupy, all the government systems, visible and invisible realms, as well as human means of governance are subject to him. Now, this is comforting because you might be tempted to lose heart or give up when you see what human beings have done to one another. When you think about what's happening in our world today, you may be tempted to lose heart when you see what humans are capable of doing to one another. I know I do sometimes. I mourn the fact that where our war is going on, that there's, there, are, there are human trafficking going on. This is Human Trafficking Month here to be awareness. We have people who are leaving their home country because they, the conditions are very, very strident, harsh, unbearable. And it's a global phenomenon, not just in the U.S. Hello. There's so many things that are happening right now. And in human society. And Jesus has supremacy over it. And Jesus holds it together. His history records our failure to love one another. I'm encouraged by this verse and the acknowledgement that Jesus' influence is far-reaching. Personally, I react to what I see. But sometimes, sometimes I forget that what I can't see has significant sway upon my life. It's the invisible realms that oftentimes influence me more than the ones I see. Well, don't forget, child of God, who sits upon the throne. And don't forget he who has made your heart his home. For if ever we need a reminder of who has ultimate control right now, it's this very moment. Don't be confused. Don't let despots convince you that they're in control. Don't let men and women of clay feet confuse you as to who is in charge. Every created being, whether human or angelic, are made to bow down and bow down they will to Jesus. Colossians as a whole meant to address the pressures. And he wanted us to ensure that we knew why we were created. An appropriate use versus inappropriate use. Later on in, in, in chapter 3, Paul begins to talk about this sense of put to death whatever is in part of your, your, your nature. In other words, he's saying that you were created for a specific purpose, a noble purpose, not an ignoble purpose. Therefore, we ought to look at intended purposes and appropriate uses. Why were you created in worship of Jesus? I think about Kitty Hawk in North Carolina. Since the Wright brothers invented flying machines, scientists have been advancing in the invention of air travel to accomplish amazing feats. My son and I, our family, my wife, my wife has a brother and sister, a sister and brother-in-law that live in Qatar in the Middle East. And you know, it's amazing. Since the early days of Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, to today, we got on an airplane that literally took us from Chicago to Doha, Qatar in 14 hours. It's amazing, isn't it? When you think about what airplanes are used for, their appropriate use. Now, and, and, and an appropriate use of an airplane is to go from one place to the next, right? To, 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 to transport you and I from one city to another. An inappropriate use is to use it as a missile or to be shot down or to, to, to be lost in a tragic accident or some other kind of various thing that can happen. 
I'd like to suggest to you that since God created the heavens and the earth and everything in between, he created you and I with a purpose, and that is to, pay, to glorify God and pay homage to Jesus who established them. An inappropriate use of these institutions is to bring man glory and forget about honoring God who created them. God, God, saints, God will get his glory in heaven and on the earth. He will get his glory no matter who's on the throne in England or who rules in Brunei or who's in the White House. He will get his glory. And one of the things that no matter what we face today and what it seems like, he's still holding our world together. I want to talk to you about three things. Number one, that God holds the world together. He's got the whole world held together in creation. He's got the whole world held together in Christ. And then finally, he's got the whole world uh, uh, held together because he's the one that makes it consist. He's the one that makes it consist. He holds things together. Verse 17, saints, is the bedrock of today. So please indulge me for just a moment. First of all, it's my favorite verse in the Bible. I just met you, but I want you to know that about me. (laughs) One of my favorite verses right now, as a reminder that our efforts are important, but Jesus is the one who makes it stick? You know, a couple of months ago at the clinic, uh, we, had a, we held a, uh, uh, a whole person care conference where we were training providers, doctors, and medical staff on how to interview patients from a Christian perspective in order to share with them the goodness of Jesus while treating their cases, while treating them in an emergency room, wherever they are, whatever they're going through. And, you know, one of the questions that stuck with me about that, that I've been finding myself asking others is, you know, in hearing the story of others, I might want to, one question that's really relevant is, what's the glue that's holding you together? When I hear about the calamity, when I hear about your misfortune, when I hear about the pain, when I hear about your, you know, the, the things that you're enduring, what's the glue that is holding you together? And some people may say things, there's various answers, but I want to suggest to you today that it's Jesus. In other words, it's resolved in Paul's mind that the work of creation is kept together. It's resolved in Paul's mind that the work of Jesus holds your life together. Jesus upholds the world. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. I'm, conf- I'm comforted. By this, and you should be too, because in a world where it feels like your your own personal life will unravel, in a world where it feels like what's going to happen in November of 2024, in a world where we don't know what tomorrow will bring, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry because you're not holding your life together. It's not you. I know that you're trying your best. God bless you. I know that you're doing your best, but ultimately it's out of your hands. It's out of your hands. People spend a lot of energy trying to hold on to things that God never intended to be kept together. And yet this particular moment reminds me that it is Jesus 
who holds it together. Oh, man, give me just one more moment this morning, saints. You know, I was reading this morning, and, and Napoleon Bonaparte had an extraordinary exchange when they thought about all the empires of the world that were created. You had Alexander the Great created an empire. You had, you had uh, Nebuchadnezzar who created an empire. You had, you had all of these men and these tyrants, some of them, that, that created empires. But one of the things that Napoleon Bonaparte admitted is that while all of those kingdoms and empires were established through violence, Jesus' was established through love and peace. And to this very day, he says, millions of men will die for him. I want to suggest to you today that it is Jesus who holds the world together. In Greco-Roman mythology, Zeus, Zeus persuades Atlas a titan, to repent for his sins against the gods by supporting the world on his shoulders. Hello, somebody. Have you seen the image? Have you seen it before? Have you seen the image of, 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 of Atlas holding the world on his shoulders? Have you seen it? And, and, and are you not reminded by this, by this image that it seems as though this punishment was that of, was that of uh, you know, having to bear the weight of that? Have you ever tried to hold the world on your own shoulders too? It's not possible. But this image depicts the strength and grace in which Atlas tries to accept his challenge. And, and this is what I want you to know, and I'll be out of your way. Listen, do you not realize this? Do you not realize that you and I, along with the whole universe, are being held together, sustained by the word of Christ? This is the author of the Hebrews claim. The sun is the radiance of the glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, upholding all things by the word of his power. We're not in the final analysis being held together by some impersonal natural law. person in his performative speech are holding us together. There is a sense in which natural law merely articulates the normal speech pattern of Jesus Christ, the upholder. But were Jesus to stop speaking, everything will crumble. Were Jesus to stop speaking, things would collapse into chaos, into nothingness. As G.K. Chesterton Suggested each new day has not is not just the product of a mechanical process. Rather, each new day is the result of God saying, do it again. To the sun, do it again. To the moon, do it again. To your heart, beat again. To your lungs, breathe again. To your despair, hope again. To the unsaved soul, live again today. This is why thank you is the best response to God morning, noon, and night. You are being held together, not by your own manufacturing, not by your own efforts, but by a God who causes all things to hold together. I'm a level with you. I've spent perhaps too many nights trying to keep things from falling apart when, in fact, they do. It happens This text, however, informs us that whatever Christ upholds will be sustained. No specifics, no clarity as to which things. (laughs) The vagueness that we, Paul, wants us to grasp is that Jesus is a keeper. 
He holds our lives together to remind us that no matter what efforts we make in the end, he will keep things in order. And this daily reminder of balance, this constant keeping of our lives, is a reminder that God governs even the matters outside of our control. And I'd like to leave you this morning with the words of this song as we all begin. And as I pray, we're going to come and we're going to end this morning. And we're going to sing that song together. Amen. Because indeed, but with a, new, with, a, with, a, with a resurgent conviction, yo, what a different attitude because we know that he's got the whole world. Not Atlas, but Jesus holds our world together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you've got the whole world in your hand. We pray the things that are out of our control as we place them in yours will be sustained, glued, held together. In the strong name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Bethany. We invite you to worship together with us on Sundays. For more information, visit BethanyChicago.org.